It's Monday the 14th of September 2020. My name's Alex Elliott, and you're listening to The Week in Iceland, the programme that asks what's been happening in Iceland this week, why it happened, and why we should care. I'm joined this in this distinctly British broadcast today uh, by Michael Nevin, the United Kingdom's ambassador to Iceland, and by the lawyer and project manager Hildur Halkimsdottir, who is working as a consultant for the Eurobrits Iceland project uh, that I'm sure we're going to hear more about in the next few minutes. Welcome to you both. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you. Uh, now, in addition to the aforementioned uh, Eurobrits Iceland project, we can also talk today about the fact that the housing market in Iceland seems to be remaining strong despite the pandemic, uh, with homes selling faster than ever once they hit the market, apparently. The government's plan to implement flight ticket subsidies for people who live far from the capital, uh, based actually on a similar Scottish initiative, has now come into effect and makes flying 40% cheaper for eligible people. The Environment Minister has laid out details of his 18-point plan to cut plastic waste in Iceland. There's the story of the house that was either illegally demolished or accidentally fell down in central Reykjavik, uh, depending on who you believe. And Bioparadis, the independent art house cinema, is preparing to open its doors again with the Skjaldborg Festival that was supposed to happen back in May and then in August uh, and now hopefully at the start of October, or was it the end of September? End of September, exactly. Um, In COVID-19 news, Iceland's active infection rate is now less than 11 per 100,000 and going down. Quarantine rules have become easier to handle, but border testing and quarantine rules uh, for returning to the country remain unchanged. So, where would you like to begin? Well, Alex, maybe I'll start and then Hilda can uh, come in and explain uh, her role. Um, So uh, here we are, uh, we've been dealing with COVID-19 quite rightly uh, as a priority, Um, but uh, we just like to remind uh, people of something called Brexit Ah. um, and how the UK uh, has left the the European Union and what that means for particularly British citizens living in, in Iceland. Uh, so basically it means that if you are living here by the time we fully leave, which is the end of uh, this year, 31st of December, then uh, if you're a resident, then your rights are fully protected. Uh, life should go on uh, broadly as it does now. Um, but uh, we would like to, and this is where, where Hilda comes in, uh, we are doing a lot of communications to, uh, I suppose, reassure the British community here uh, that they can continue living here, continue working here, studying here, um, as they do now. And Hilder uh, is working on a project which uh, helps to support that, particularly if we can ensure that um, people are properly registered and that they will then uh, know what they have to do, uh, if anything, uh, beyond registration. But maybe Hilda can explain her role in all this. Yes. Like uh, Michael pointed out, then uh, we have this project. Um, I work uh, with the Air Centre and this project is funded by the UK Commonwealth, uh, uh, UK Foreign Commonwealth and um, uh, Development Office. Um, And the uh, aim of this project is to assist UK nationals that might have any problems registering the residence rights um, in in the country. So um, any uh, UK nationals or family members that might have any issues with this, uh, they can uh, contact us and get uh, free personalised uh, advice uh, on how to go through this process. 
So as Michael pointed out, it's really important that um, the UK nationals here uh, register uh, and so they can um, remain here and um, be here uh, following um, the deadline at the end of the year. When you say register, what do you mean by that? So the registers Iceland, they'd have to register uh, for legal domicile if they intend to stay here and and live um, as uh, so yeah so they have to register there and and make sure that's correctly done um, and so if you have a, a Kenetala and a Lurkheimili in Iceland, that's enough. Yeah, that's uh, should be you you're registering your rights uh, to stay here. Mm. And then everything else just flows from there. So um, your continued uh, right to health uh, services and mm. going to school, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So mm. um, in a way, that that's that's the key. And most people will be fully registered who, who've been living here. Um, but we just want to make doubly sure. What happens hypothetically to someone or for someone who moves here on the thirtieth of December this year? Hypothetically, uh, anyone who does that may be wanting to, to, to experience the, the, the mad fireworks display but continue to live here, then they would be treated, uh, if, they, if they register, then they would be treated as a resident. Uh, so the cut-off date is um, uh, midnight on, on the 31st of December. So they would be in scope, as we say. And then from there on, the 1st of January, do we have any idea how that's going to look yet? Yes, so then things change. So uh, after that, uh, if you are um, coming to live or, or work here in Iceland, um, uh, then you'd have to be, you'd have to apply really because uh, you would be a, a th- what we call a third country national. So the, the old freedom of movement uh, would no longer apply. And that means things like visas and uh, work permits and stuff like that, does it? Yeah, but only if you're, if you're just coming to visit uh, and shopping or, or tourism, uh, then you won't need a visa you know, for the UK or for, for Iceland. But if you intend to uh, come and live here, um, uh, work or study, then yes, you would need to apply. Mm. And in terms of the definition of living like that, is anyone staying for more than three months? Is that right? Yeah, pretty much mm-hmm. so. Yeah. Um, is there anything, any message that you'd like to give people from other countries, perhaps Icelanders or from elsewhere in, in the world who are here, who have extensive dealings with the UK? Maybe they travel there a lot, maybe they do business there. Is anything going to change for them through this process? No, I mean, basically, if, you, if you're going to travel to the UK for uh, you know, ordinary visits, um, going sightseeing or visiting family or shopping or watching the best football team in the world, Manchester United, then um, hopefully post-COVID um, <laughs> you'll be able to, you can continue doing that. Same with, you know, engaging with our, our business sector. It's only if you want to go and um, actually live there and uh, a study there, um, then, you know, more than three months you would need uh, to, get, to get a, a visa. Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned study um Obviously, there's a, a lot of Icelanders that study in the UK and vice mm. versa. What does this mean for them um, in terms of tuition fees, in terms of student loans and things like that uh, going forward? Um, no no change, actually. Um, we have announced that for um, we used to have for European Union uh, students, i.e. those come from the European Union, that they had the equivalent of, of home fee status. Um, but that would no longer 
apply as of January. So, but in effect, for Icelandic students, then there's no no change, uh, and absolutely the doors remain open for them to to come and study, and we'd like them to if if they can. Mm-hmm. This uh, deal, this arrangement between the two countries or between the EEA countries and the UK um, about continued residence rights for people already here, how how long is that guaranteed for? Do we know? What, what, what do you mean if they are correctly registered? and, and uh, So that's uh, then a status that they maintain. But is, uh, it, is, it, is that guaranteed to go on forever? Or is it could be two years down the line and they change their mind and everyone has to leave? I've not heard. No, no, that's any... this is guaranteed. Yeah. So um, you can go on living here if you want to for the rest of your life, and, mm-hmm. and those those rights would be guaranteed. Yeah. Okay. Same for Icelanders in the UK. Mm-hmm. And is that the same? Norway, Liechtenstein, Iceland. Is that the same deal as with? That's right. Yeah. Everywhere else in Europe, or do we not know what's happening with the? Um, rest of well, the it's EU pretty. Yet? Yeah, it's pretty much for for the, for all of Europe, uh, EU, and the. Three EEA states, as we say, Norway, Liechtenstein, and, and Iceland. Okay. Uh, in terms of Air Centre, mm-hmm. that's a, uh, um, a human rights legal support charity, I believe. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Mm-hmm. How did they end up working with the British government on this? Well, because the British government established this uh, fund, uh, the UK National Support Fund, and uh, uh, they had a uh, started funding and, uh, and the Air Centre applied for funding to do this project and successfully uh, got the funding. So mm-hmm. that's how come we've been involved in the in the okay. project and the Eurobridge Iceland project was established. And its emphasis is on personalised support and, and mm-hmm. helping individuals. How can they get in touch if they want to or need to? Yeah, so I suggest um, uh, we have a, like a, a website. Uh, we have um, theircenter.org. Uh, we also uh, run a Facebook page. So if you're on Facebook, you can just uh, search for uh, Eurobridge Iceland and then you get onto the Facebook um, page. And the email address is eurobrits at aircenter.org. Okay. So Hilda's work um, very much sort of complementing our outreach. Um, so, uh, you know, in case that there are those who we miss or who would rather uh, speak with uh, Hilda and her organisation, then then they can do so. But we're putting everything on the uh, Living in Iceland guide, so all the information uh, should be on that. Uh, and we do regular. Outreach. So this week we're having our, I think it's our fourth uh, uh, Brit Ice event where we uh, invite uh, British citizens who are living here um, to come and we'll go through uh, these issues uh, with them. And then we will try and get out around the country as well this year, so up to Akureyri and other places um, mm-hmm. as well. But the Living in Iceland guide, we're hoping we're to direct people to that. Uh, and then if there's any other questions, uh, Hilda's organisation is very much available as well. Then mm. this Brit Ice event, is that a physical meeting? Yes, it's, uh, it's one of those um, where we uh, constantly review it. Um, but uh, at the moment, it's, it's definitely uh, a physical event with appropriate 
precautions um, and we, we will have uh, backup in terms of we're going to be doing Facebook Q&A events and, and other events as well. But these days you're always going to have option B just in case. Mm. And is that what, is that at the embassy or? Uh, we're, we're doing at the, uh, the Radisson Blue uh, Hotel on, on Thursday um, from five o'clock. Great. Okay. Shall we move on to a different topic? Thanks for that, by the way. It's really interesting. Thank uh, you. I hope all the other nationalities listening also found it at least mildly interesting. <laughs> yes. Um, but yes, back to um, back to Iceland now. Um, which of the topics most piques your interest? We've got the um, the flight ticket plan. Yeah, should we do that one? Sure, I like that. I mean. We've got a left green led government at the moment, and anything anything to do with aviation is problematic there because of emissions. But there's a lot of people in Iceland who live far away and have to rely to a certain extent on the services here in town. Mm-hmm. And this is being billed as a sort of a, a move towards equality to give them better access. What do you think? Well, I'm originally from a, a town, um, a small fishing, fishing village in the east. So I can really see that this is a positive thing for the people that are re- living in remote um, places in Iceland. And, yeah, of, of course, as the weather can be quite bad and, and um, sometimes, yeah, these are, are a long way you have to travel. So we, we rely, or the Icelanders rely a lot on the flight communication. And, and if, if uh, this will help people connect, and, and like I noticed as well because... Um, People that are here studying, for example, they can get this subsidized tickets to go see their families, etc. It's a very positive thing, you know, and um, and connects people um, in this big island where, where we have a remote uh, um, places uh, relying on the on the the, the plane uh, to get the people from A to B. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you mentioned the Scottish connection. I think it's been. Uh, a scheme which has been in operation um, mainly to in Scotland, I think from 2005, uh, mainly to link sort of the highlands and islands um, into into the larger centres. And, and as Hilda says, um, it's been very popular there, and it's been been extended. Um, and it, it just helps that that connection um, helps, for example, students to to access uh, or keep connections with home. Uh, and and that flow flow of people, it's basically a subsidy, um, but I think it's a recognition that you know there is a need to keep uh, communities connected uh, with each other. Um, in Scotland, it doesn't cover business travellers. Um, same here. It's the same here. Okay, um, uh, which is a point of uh, discussion still still in Scotland, um, but I, I know it's been very popular there. Um, and therefore, it just helps that uh, general connectivity and, and, and feeling part of, uh, you know, not being excluded in a way. Mm. Interestingly, I think in part, obviously, part, the major part of it is that reason. But also in Iceland, the two main domestic airlines have been struggling so much in recent years because they've just been struggling to compete on a, on a price basis against driving. Yeah. Um, and therefore, the their timetables are at risk and, and that, that sort of security net of having these daily flights to far-flung parts of the country could go without this. And, and I think that's an important thing as well because, sure, sometimes you have to get here 
you've got a hospital appointment and, and cost isn't so much of an issue. Mm. But if the flight wasn't running... Well, well in a way, we're, we're kind of seeing it... Uh, we can understand that uh, through, through uh, the COVID-19 experience. So uh, the airlines are clearly uh, getting a bit of a bashing at the moment and, and, and struggling um, because of the restrictions uh, and the impact of COVID. Uh, and so, therefore, you know, flights are are less than, than they used to be, and, and uh, they they are struggling, and, and that connectivity has been disrupted. So, uh, we we feel it for the UK, uh, Iceland, and and I think we better understand, therefore, uh, communities uh, within our countries who don't have that access um, that that we might enjoy usually. Mm. That's a really good point because. We've been cut off in more ways than one. Like the cargo services, like if you order something online or something, it's taking months to arrive now. Mm-hmm. And I know that the domestic flights carry, for example, the daily newspapers and and maybe certain I don't know fresh products and things like this um, on a daily basis. And that's mm-hmm. that's important too. Absolutely. And you're not going to run a plane just to put papers in on its own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Um, the other side of that potentially is. If you've got more people with more regular, better access to the city, does it is it a drain on their own home communities, on the shopping options there, on perhaps their local bands and, and things like that, that it's easier and cheaper to do it in town? Or is that really not a consideration? Do you think because um, there's too much service here in Reykjavik area that, uh, that these places will end up suffering as a result? Well, yeah, I mean, I used to live in Isavillar uh, for quite mm. a long time. And, for example, there, I know the clothes shops, for mm. example, have struggled because people just buy it here or, or when they go overseas and they're not shopping mm. at home for various reasons. Maybe it's a bit to do with the selection, the prices, whatever. And that could make it even harder for them. Well, I don't know if I can comment on that, but I was thinking in terms of um, the communication with your loved ones. Uh, it's... A very essential um, as a link. So I don't, um, I can't comment on whether it's going to affect retail in these two places or not. Um, mm. But obviously, we want to maintain uh, retail as well uh, on the um, on the smaller communities. Ideally, like that, you know, we want to maintain a robust uh, um, commercial. Uh, I think everybody can agree on that. That. Um, that's a, that's a good thing if it's spread around and and you know people get access it locally as well as having to come to Reykjavik mm. for uh, most things. Uh, I mean, you have to have your registered address in one of the eligible communities in the northwest, northeast, east, or west fjords, plus the Western Islands or Hjortnavili. So quite far away places. Uh, to be to benefit from this forty percent discount on your flight tickets, mm-hmm. um, three times a year, I think it is mm-hmm. well, six individual flights, but it could have a positive impact on on the rest of us, those that are not eligible. If the more flights are running or better frequency of flights because of this increased demand, then there will be more seats available overall, and maybe the prices could go down mm-hmm. for those of us who want to visit. Mm. I don't know. It's possible. Hmm. Maybe I'm. I'm sure the economists and have been doing their their figures. Um, but I think, in general, your point is right that uh, if if we can uh, encourage a flow the other way, 
then that would be good for um, a lot of towns. I mean, globalization in general has has benefited um, societies, um, but I think in a way uh, the local distinctiveness is is making a comeback because it is something different. Uh, and uh, we've seen uh, this summer. Uh, a lot of Icelanders rediscovering or even discovering their own uh, country uh, and the, the local delights and, and interests which which it can offer. So uh, in a way, I, I hope this does uh, encourage not just a one-way flow, but, but the other way as well. You mentioned bands. It'd be great to see some of the, uh, the bands in Iceland um, playing not just here, but elsewhere in the country. Mm. Final quick point on that no actually forget it I've forgotten it (laughs) I've literally forgotten what I was going to say Um, okay maybe we should move on because time is rattling quickly through Um, we have got the plastic waste initiative the cost of houses um, the house that got demolished or Bioparadis or also Mm COVID-19 where should we go next well I I think yeah the the plastic uh um uh, bill was i think um if you t- talk about like um uh, again i think um plastic um has become a bit of a problem um with oh, basically uh, pollution etc and if if uh, countries are tackling this issue um together and um you know, making sure we are recycling and uh, working together to try to re- reduce this uh, uh, threat to our uh, nature, then uh, that's uh, a good thing. And I think, um, yeah, it is a it's a global thing that everybody needs to come and work together on, on tackling. Because mm. we are using far too much plastic at the moment and we're not disposing of it properly. And that's... Mm. But I think the core of the problem... Yeah, um... In a way, it, it, it's a number of programmes are shown from David Attenborough's uh, programmes to, to local programmes. They've shown the impact of of plastic. Um, and uh, I think measures you take can work. If I just, again, use the UK as an example. In, in England, they introduced a, a, a charge on plastic bags and it, uh, it resulted uh, within five years an 80% reduction in the use of plastic bags from from shops, which is about 9 billion plastic bags. And I think in 2015 they worked out that on average it would mean that everyone in in England would have uh, 140 plastic bags each, which is clearly way too much. Um, Mm. And we are, it's been a bit delayed because of COVID, but we've also, uh, similarly as to here, uh, banning single-use plastic on things like straws, drinking straws and uh, cotton buds. Um, uh, and the awareness has definitely grown. Uh, and that link to you know, taking care of the environment and to climate change, uh, I think, has is, is, is grown a lot so that we're reaching the tipping point. Pe- people understand, they can see the impact in general. Uh, and therefore taking care of the environment. And, you know, the president sets a good example. He goes plugging, so running and picking up uh, uh, litter, um, but also increases innovation. So we're seeing a lot of um, uh, innovation around alternatives. Uh, 
mm. um, biodegradable alternatives, for example, or, or recycling use. I think there was one uh, company uh, in Scotland which is recycling plastic to, to use in, in roads, for example. Or uh, can we use uh, biodegradable um, uh, bags? Um, maybe it's back to the old days you know, when, when you didn't have the plastic bags and you had your paper bags and... Uh, again, as, as we were mentioning before, you know, going back to some of the, the, the uh, ways we used to live uh, before, which are more environmentally friendly, might be, might be the trend. Mm. Of course, there's no single golden bullet solution. No. Um, that's the thing. It's so, plastic is so useful and it's yeah. so cheap. Mm -hmm. uh, it's easy to ma manufacture and it, you know, it has some good purposes too. It does. Absolutely. It keeps food yeah. fresher longer, and, and and food waste, of course, is another enormous problem. Um, but yeah, it's using too much of it too cheaply, like in single-use cotton yeah. wool buds and, and yeah. knives and forks. Um, but then replacing those with biodegradable alternatives is not always easy because these biodegradable plastics are often made from, for example, corn, maize, and 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 other plants, sugarcane even. Um, which, you know, that takes land to make it, uh, it takes energy. So, I mean, it's not perfect either. Same with paper. No, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a very complex area. And I think that that's a, in a way, that's excitement. So um, we, we could be forging ahead in, 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 with these new new products. Um, and the UK is hosting the, the big global climate conference. Uh, it was delayed from, from this year. It'll be held in, in Glasgow um, next year. Uh, and that's where all the commitments that were made five years ago uh, in Paris, uh, we're going we're gonna to have to have a plan. But I think the plan would be also about how do you have a, a new economy, uh, but in, in a sense, new lifestyles. But getting communication right, is nah, that's going to be tricky because mm. it's, it's not as simple as saying, right, let's do, just do this. Uh, I think it's a very good illustration of what you just said, that uh, the product may may... Uh, look better, but how was it made and what was its impact uh, on the environment? Um, so I think uh, we should be investing a lot in, in our scientists um, to help us through all of this. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we talk a lot about the individual and, and the change that you can make on your own by the choices you make in daily life. But at the end of the day, we're being presented with uh, shiny, attractive products that, uh, that the manufacturers want us to buy. Mm. And so... It's on them as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's uh, everyone's responsibility, the consumer, the businesses, uh, to, uh, 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 you know, get together and and, uh, and, and reduce um, the use of the single-use plastic that, that takes a long time to, um, uh, like, uh, many years to uh, dissolve in the, in the nature if, if it gets there. Um, so, yeah. Mm. And multiple plastics as well. Recycling is a huge problem at the moment because mm. we don't really know what to do with it all. There's so many different types of plastic stuck to other types of plastic and, and mixed mm. with metals and things. It's it's a bit of a nightmare there. Mm. Um, and I believe that the plastic we collect in Iceland for recycling is just shipped off to Sweden and burned uh, for energy, admittedly, which is it's used to heat houses, mm. um, but not ideal. But of course, plastic's so cheap that recycling it properly and making it into new plastic doesn't always pay for itself. Mm. So it's, a, it's a tricky thing, isn't it? It the, is. The good thing mm. is, you know, this is a transition, and we, we seem to be going in the right direction. Um, mm. 
The question is, are we going there fast enough? Mm. Mm. Yeah, because we don't know how long the plastic that's already in the ocean is going to last uh, for yeah. hundreds of years, presumably. Uh, you know, and we're seeing studies you know, in the Arctic where, where microplastics are being discovered or even plastics on, on the shoreline, which um, uh, Arctic uh, uh, bird life and, and other wildlife are digesting. Mm-hmm. Mm. Then it gets into the marine food chain and ends up on our plates eventually. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's very much in our interests. Absolutely. Well, um, as is so often the case on this programme, I'm afraid we could probably continue for ages, but we've now run out of time. The uh, Week in Iceland will be back next Monday, the 21st of September, on roof.is forward slash English, Roof English on Facebook, through the Roof app, and your favourite podcast platform. Um, huge thanks again to my guests, Michael Nevin and Hildur Halkrimsdottir, and also to Lydia Gretesdottir for running the studio. Uh, just a reminder, the name of the project, if you are interested is Euro Brits Iceland you can find it online on its own website or through Facebook now we finished today with an Icelandic band known for their British style uh, I thought that was appropriate um, and not least in this particular music video for the song that we're about to hear from 2012 this is Tilbury with the song Tenderloin bye for now is it ready or Stay.